Matthew 25. Open to Matthew 25. We're still in the Gospel of Matthew, but just not in chapter 13 this time. Um, oh, we'll be back there soon. Whoever said that? Um, Matthew 25 is part of what uh, is known to us as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, it's, just, it's a discourse that Jesus gave to his disciples right before he went to the cross. It's called the Olivet Discourse because it was a series of teaching that he gave from the Mount of Olives. Uh, if you can, you can see that, for example, uh, if, you're, if you found 25, just flip over to 24, and you can see in verse 3, uh, Matthew 24, 3, it says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him. And they, they were, they were um, he taught them things. And, and look, still looking at verse 3, it says, They asked Jesus, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age. And so the, the Olivet Discourse, these two chapters, they're about that. They're about, they're about what will happen in the future. Jesus is prophesying what will happen in the future. Uh, in the near term, he's prof- he prophesies things like what's going to happen at the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. That happened 35 or 40 years after Jesus would say that. He said that actually in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 24. That would happen 35 or 40 years later when the, when the Romans came in and destroyed the, the, um, the temple. Um, but that, that seemed to be an event that Jesus used as a prophetic foreshadowing of an, of an even more momentous thing coming, which is His second coming. And, and you can see how all through chapter 24, he talks about that. Like in, beginning in verse 15, the abomination of desolation. Um, he talks about that in chapter 24, followed by a passage called the coming of the Son of Man. Ending in that chapter, chapter 24, no one knows the day or the hour. And then he begins chapter 25 with two parables. Um, and we'll consider the second of those two parables tonight, the parable of the talents. But both of those parables in chapter 25 are in view of, in view of that. That's what this discourse is about, about the second coming. It's not surprising that these two parables that Jesus told, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents, are both about being, being ready for the second coming. Whenever it is that that takes place, being ready for it. Um, uh, yeah, because you know it's all about the final... Being ready, if you look at the end of chapter 25, it's about the final judgment. So it's all about the end of things. So the pretty serious chapters. But our parable tonight, the parable of talents, is in that serious vein of warning people to be ready for that day or hour because we don't know when it's going to be. But in the meantime, we're going to see that this parable of the talents also gives us a good window into life in the kingdom of Christ right now. Um. We've already looked at parables that talk about who, who enters into that kingdom. Think of Pharisee and the tax collector, that kind of thing. Who enters the, king, the kingdom? We've talked about how people enter the kingdom through repentance and faith and humility. We've seen parables talk about the worth of that kingdom, the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure. And the parable of the talents that we're about to read and study is, is now it's speaking to people who are, already, um, who are already in the kingdom of Christ, or at least they assume they are. 
and how they should be conducting their lives even now as part of his kingdom. So let's, before we go any further, let's read this parable, and then we'll dive in and take a closer look. Parable of the Talents, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. It'll go all the way through verse 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have done, I mean, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to every one who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the, wor- cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us the help we need to study your word? Uh, it is It is... Uh, you're holy and inspired and inerrant, infallible, uh, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. Give us help that we need to give us eyes to see, give us minds to understand, give us hearts to embrace, wills to obey uh, the truth that you have set before us here in this parable. Um, And would you give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us through it? Give me the help that I need to teach. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a pretty straightforward parable. Uh, It's not hard to understand, but it has some good things to teach us. So uh, there are several things we could bring out of this parable, but there's just three that I want us to see tonight. And they they just follow the basic storyline of the parable. So if you're taking notes, here's what I want us to see. It's not going to alliterate so masterfully like last week. Still proud of that. Um, 
First, we're going to consider the distribution of the talents. The distribution of the talent, talents. That's, we're going to zoom in at what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15 to see that, the distribution of the talents. And then secondly, we'll move ahead to verses 16 to 18, and we're going to think about the investment of the talents. The investment of the talents. Here we're going to try to consider some of the different ways that we can, we can practice what Jesus is alluding to in this parable. Okay? The investment of the talents. That's verses 16 to 18. And then finally, third, we'll see the accountability of the talents. The accountability of the talents. That's from the remainder of the passage, verses 19 to 30. Certainly we could break down that part even more minutely, but I think it's going to help us to see it all together. So those three points. With that said, let's dive in and think first about the distribution of the talents. Again, we find this in verses 14 and 15. And, and in this first part of the parable, really, this is just setting the stage for the main point that's still to come. This is not the main point, but we don't need to overlook what Jesus does teach us, even in these sort of setting up kind of remarks. Look again at what he says there. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now, first things first. Notice how Jesus begins the parable simply, for it will be like. What will be like? Um, well, he doesn't seem to specify here what it is. But if you look back to the beginning of the chapter of chapter 25, to the first parable that he told, and look at verse 1, it begins saying, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so with Jesus telling these parables back to back, you can reasonably assume that when he begins in verse 14 saying, it will be like, it's the same thing as the first parable, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Um, and, and so the kingdom of heaven will be like a man who went on a journey and he left to each of his, his uh, servants a distribution of his property, described in the parable as five talents to one, two to another, and one to a third. What is a talent? Okay, just nuts and bolts here. What is a talent? Well, in that day, a, a talent was a, a unit of weight measurement. Um, and so the assumption here is if, if, he, if it was some sort of money the master was leaving with the servants to, to invest, then it was something like silver or gold, something that could be weighed out in talents. We're not sure how much a talent was, and it's not crucial to the story, uh, understanding of the story, but you get the feeling that when you're reading the parable that five talents is not a small amount. Um, but he left those distributed amounts with the servants, and then he left. And so you get the idea that, that Jesus is telling this parable just before his cross and resurrection and ascension. So by him, he himself is about to leave. Right? He's about to go to the cross, rise again, ascend back to heaven. So it's not surprising that he's going to tell a parable like this about a master who left some things to his servants and then went away. Right? And so this parable, I think, is, what, is about what Jesus is going to expect of them and of all of his disciples while he is away while we're awaiting his return. Like, what an obedient life in his kingdom should look like as we wait on Jesus to come back. And we're going to see, uh, as the parable goes on, to quote James Montgomery Boyce, who said, the point of the story is that waiting for Christ's return 
and being ready for it are not passive matters. We must work faithfully and energetically for Him now. But, okay, so he, he talks about the distribution of these talents to the servants. What would the distribution of these talents to His servants, what would that compare to for us today? What, would that, what, what is He communicating to us by this, in this story? I want you to listen to this, this quote from John Ryle. He, I'm, I'm on, I'll, I'll walk back through it because you won't be able to write it all down. But he, when he talks about what would, what would be like a similar thing to us today in terms of what Jesus was saying, he left a talent to them. He said, and I quote, here's what a talent is. He says, it's anything, anything whereby we may glorify God. Anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible. All, all are talents, right? That is so good. The master distributing the talents to the servants is like Christ distributing to each of us whatever we have by which we can glorify Him. Whatever we have. Because what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 4, 7? He says, what do you have that you did not receive. What do you have that you didn't receive? What's the implied answer? I don't have anything that I didn't receive from Him. So anything that we have received from His hand and is therefore to be used for His glory in my life. And Ryle mentioned some things that, he, that... That's a talent. Ryle mentioned some things in that long list that I gave. Some of the things that we... Uh, Many of the things we do associate with this idea of a talent, but some things we don't naturally. Uh, you know, like some things we do. Take, for example, he, he says first he, in that definition I gave, he said, our gifts. We, when we read a parable, a parable of the talent, and we go, what is that in my life? I, I might immediately assume the gifts that God has given me, whatever those may be. That's the kind of thing we would most easily associate with talents that he's given us. What, what, with what has the Lord gifted me with? And Scripture has a lot to say about that. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. And then Peter divides them into two camps, into speaking gifts and serving gifts. Paul lists out a long list of gifts, spiritual gifts, in a couple of different places, like teaching and serving and encouraging, generosity, and on and on and on. Spiritual gifts or just gifts that we have, those are talents that we have, talents in, in this kind of sense, to be used for His glory in my life. Um, and we most instinctively, when we read this parable about talents, think of those kinds of things, right? Uh, things about those kinds, of, or literal talents that we have. Maybe someone is really talented at some kind of art, and so an application there would be to use that art to bring glory to Christ. That, that's, a, that's a way to use that talent that, that Christ has left you or whatever. Um, 
you know, money, he mentioned our money. Our money, too, is one of those talents that he's given that we often think of. But Ryle's quote also makes us think outside that box to, to things, other t- things that would count as talents that Christ has left me and you, like our influence, my influence, your influence, wherever that may be, the influence you have over friends or in your class or in your family or whatever kind of influence you have, wherever you go, that's a talent that Christ has left you to be used for his glory. Our, 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 our knowledge, our health, I mean, if, if, if God has given you good health, use it for his glory. If he's given you poor health, use that for his glory. Uh, he even mentions our memory, our memory. Man, if you've, got, if you've got a capability like to just have a good memory, man, stuff a lot of Scripture in there and use it for His glory. You know what I'm saying? That, that beautiful description of what we should consider as talents today, it, it invites me to take full and almost constant inventory of my life uh, and of everything about it. Step outside my life and look back at my life and, and examine myself like, to know what are the talents, every angle of it. What are the talents that Christ has left to me? And look again closely at verse 15. Uh, to, that to one he gave five, to another two, to another one. And then he said, each one to his own ability. That should remind us there that it's, it's the Lord who has knit us together. That's what Psalm 139 says. We often associate that with like, abortion and stuff, and rightly so. But it's not like the Lord knit us together just so we would be born. No, He knit us together so we'd be born and we would grow into who we are today. He knit us the way He's knit us. And, and, and therefore, everything He has, He knows us all together, and therefore, everything He has given to us in knitting us together, just the way He has, He has designed, especially for us, to turn it back to Him and use for His, his for our joy and for His glory. It's like, it's like what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, when he lists all these spiritual gifts. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these, all these gifts, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So, no ability... No gift, no capacity that you have is unimportant. No gift, no ability, no capacity, nothing about you is unimportant. Everything, what do you have that you did not receive? Right? And if you received it, you got to ask, why did you give it to me? Right? The Lord has a unique design for every person, and one is not better or worse they're simply, as we saw Peter put it, evidence of God's varied grace. And Paul would argue, using the analogy of a body, the hand cannot say to the, the foot, I don't need you, or vice versa. All need each other for the body of the church to function properly in the most healthy way. And it's important to note that every person in this story received a talent. But to what end? To what purpose? They were all distributed talents, but that's what purpose? Why? And, and that's what we see even more clearly in the second part of this parable when we think about the investment of the talents. And, of course, we've already begun to bring this up. It was, it was anything that be, a talent was anything that be, could be used for God's 
glory, used for God's glory. As we saw that in, the, in that voice comment, that waiting for Christ's return and being ready for it are not passive matters. Faithfully and energetically, energetically work for Him now. So clearly those things that we have taken inventory of in our lives, our gifts, our talents, our influence, our time, our knowledge, whatever, whatever, aren't things that just need to exist in my life. Like, but things that, that are to put to use in my life and not for myself alone, but for Christ ultimately. That's what, that's what the Lord Jesus teaches us here in this parable. It's interesting in the parable that the master leaves. Did you notice this? He leaves. He gives them the, 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 the talents and then he just leaves. He doesn't give any specific instructions to them about how to use the talents. That's interesting. I mean, that's an example in one way of how you shouldn't press every single detail of a parable for significance or meaning because it's not exactly like the Lord, in fact, did leave us with no instructions. He gave us a lot of them. But perhaps if any significance is to be found in the fact that he, left, he distributed those gifts or those talents and then, and then just left without instruction, um, it, it's to emphasize that the master wanted the servants to use their own imaginations, to use their own ingenuity to, to, to put their talents to the best use for the master. Like, and in that way, that isn't far off the mark at all to what the Lord expects of us. I mean, God didn't create us simply to go to Him in the morning or any time of the day and just receive marching orders. Lord, what do you want for me to do today? That's how, that's how, that's how you get nothing done. That's how a lot of people get, get hung up on what is the will of God for my life because they expect God to just tell them. But that's not how it works. Um, I won't say any more about that right now because you can come to Venture in February and find out a lot more about that. But um, the Lord didn't create us to just come get His marching orders, but to use the minds and imaginations and wisdom that He's given us to walk in, in various ways, all according to His will. Well, in the story, in verses 16 to 18, uh, they tell us what the servants did, each with their talents. The man with five invested it and made five more. That's verse 16. The man with two did the same. He earned two more. That's verse 17. But you know from our reading of it, the story zooms in on the third servant, of whom verse 18 says, he went and dug a hole and hid his master's money in it. So in essence, he didn't do anything with it. Leon Morris said, keeping it in this way meant that there was no possibility of loss, but it also meant there was no possibility of gain. Now, we're going to find out more about this third servant when we come to the third point. But for now, it's worth considering, okay, if the story is zooming in on that guy who just dug a hole and put his talent there and covered it up, what would that look like? In our life, what, what would the equivalent be for us of taking the talent that he's given and hiding it in the ground? And I think the key word there is hiding. Hiding it. Hiding me. It means we're either lazy or we don't care to know what 
gifts or abilities or advantages we have. I don't care to take that inventory of my life. Or if we do, we're lazy and do not care to pursue the glory of Jesus in it. Is it music ability? Is it teaching ability? Is it a position of influence? Is it, hey, this semester I, I have a lighter class load and so I just have more time at my disposal. That, that's a talent that the Lord gave you this semester if that's you, right? Is it a gift of encouragement? If, if, you know, it, it could be literally anything because literally everything about you was given to you by God. Everything about you. And for that purpose of glorifying Him through it. You know, and investing it in Him and maximizing the use of it in your life. Hiding it, burying it in the ground is either not using those talents at all or it's using them in the wrong way, toward the wrong end, to build your own brand, to make a name for yourself, to exalt yourself through it rather than Christ. And I think we, as we come to the last point, we're going to see that what we're talking about, what, what the Master is expecting of the servants, and by extension, what Jesus is expecting of us through the use of the talents, i.e., whatever about us can be used for His glory, and, and to be using it for His glory, we're not talking about drudgery. We're not talking about drudgery or just do it. We're not. It so happens that God has wired us in such a way that when we pursue His glory as our highest end with the things that He's just made me good at or made me enjoy, when I pursue His glory in that, and, and as my highest goal, we actually finally reach our highest happiness. And I think John Piper might have said something similar to that. When he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It is true. It's so satisfying. There is no shame. There is never any regret associated with striving for the glory of God and the talents that He's given me. There's never regret. There's never any shame. Like there will be inevitably for the person who spends his whole life living as if the goods and the talents and the abilities are entirely of his own making. And he spends them entirely on himself for his whole life. That will be unsatisfying the whole way because it will never be enough. It will never seem like enough. And it will be a most bitter end. And we'll see that most strikingly, though, in both directions um, when we see the rest of this parable about the last point here in the accountability of the talents. First of all, Notice in verse 19 that the master, verse 19 tells us, the master didn't return until after a long time. Why, why tell us that? Just to show you that, that the master was giving all ample time for the servants to make good use of, the, of what he left them with. Um, and, 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 and here is, is where I want to teach you how, how Jesus tells this parable in such a way that to teach us that, that spending our lives and our talents, whatever it is about us, for His glory is the most satisfying life of all. Notice that when the Master returns, it says in verse 20 that the one who had five talents, he came forward to him. It's not the other way around. It's not the other way around. 
It was, we're not given the picture of the master approaching him, but he saw, the ma- he saw the master coming. The servant approached him. He ran up to him. He's eager. He's eager. He knows the master. He knows the, the kindness of the master. And he's eager to share that joy with his master. And so he comes to the master and he says, and he says look, what, look, look I've, you've given me five. I have five more. And he shows the master. And the master, in verse 21, says famously, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That is where the surreal salvation from last week comes back. Like, what is it going to look like to be set over much? What is it going to, what is the joy of our master going to be like? Who can fully imagine what that's going to be like? I can't. But there's more to see. The next person we encounter is the guy who had two talents. He had distributed two talents. And he comes forward in verse 22, just like the first servant, eager. Notice again what the master says in verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You say, what's different about that than the first one? Nothing. That's the point. Nothing at all. That's just another reason he said the same thing to the guy who had two as to the guy who had five. That's another reason why we ought not ever be jealous of each other. Like, but trust completely in the wisdom and in the goodness of God that he designed me and he designed you just like he made you. Like, for our best for His glory, and when we are simply stay in my lane and, and faithful with what I have been given, we are then received into the same joy as the one who I thought my whole life had more than me. Right? But it finishes with the third servant, the one who had buried and hidden the talent. And when he came forward, he came with a different attitude. He did come, but he came with a different attitude. He says in verses 24 and 25, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talents in the ground. Here you have what is yours. What is he doing? If you read that carefully, what's he doing? He's blaming God for his failure. That's what he's doing. I knew you, you were a hard man. You reap where you don't sow, and you gather. So I was afraid of you. You're the reason that I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And in, that, in doing that, he misrepresented the master, describing him as hard. Hard man. Hard to please. Hard to obey. Hard to love. But in the story, the master plays along with the logic. And he says, basically, well, if you believe me to be that way, then even still, why didn't you act differently? Why, if you really thought I was like that, why did, you, why did you not invest? That's all the more reason why you would have gotten after it and invested my money if you really thought I was like that. This is Jesus seeing through it. This is why the master is showing that what's really going on is that, ma- that servant didn't care. That servant didn't care. There was no love for the master, there was no obedience for the master in him. That's why verse 26, in verse 26, the master replies, calling him a wicked and slothful servant and sent him away 
to punishment. He In this, outwardly he appeared to be a faithful servant. He was not a believer. And when Jesus says in verse 29 that to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, I think what he's doing there, he is, he is describing two things. He's describing both the exceeding joy of heaven. What he has, more will be given. He'll have an abundance. The exceeding joy of heaven and, and the exceeding sorrow of hell. Even what he has will be taken away, which he vividly describes in verse 30. Let me just conclude by saying this. This parable is, is meant as both an encouragement to believers and a warning to unbelievers. There's a lot of really encouraging things in here. The master is not hard to please. He is as pleased with the servant of two as he is with the servant of five. But his judgment is just toward those who live their lives for themselves and gave no thought to honor Christ with all that he had given them. And I pray we have ears to hear that word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you for this admonition. Lord, I pray that we would take careful inventory of our own lives, of the own, what would be the talents that you have left to us. What, what are my gifts? What are my... What are the blessings that you have provided to me that I can then turn around and use for your glory, be it time or ability or literal talents, influence, even as he said, our memory, our senses, our health. Help us think deeply about how you've made us and how we can be instruments for your glory so that when you return, whenever that may be, we can be as eager for that day as those first two servants. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.